Welcome to the Amazon Legends podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is an entrepreneur with two successful Amazon exits. And he, in fact, played both sides of the spectrum. So he built a health and beauty brand and sold it. And then he figured out there is a need for a technology. And then he built a SaaS platform for Amazon sellers and sold it which led him to his current job as a, an M&A advisor for Carbon 6. And also he loves playing the guitar and singing in his free time, if he has any of it. So uh, welcome to the show, Troy. Uh, everybody meet my guest, Troy Johnston. So welcome to the show, Troy. Excellent. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Pre appreciate the intro and, and good to be spending some time with you. Yeah, so uh, I'm very familiar with the health and beauty space, but... Uh, you know, every business, every industry has something that most entrepreneurs, if not all, dislike immensely, but you seem to like that. What is that? Oh, well, I love chaos. <laughs> so, uh, okay, well, I mean, especially when it comes to chaos, Amazon is the source of it, right? So, so uh, tell us how that factors in. So, you know, in business, challenges usually come out of some kind of a chaotic situation and then but usually challenges are opportunities so that we hone in on so i can understand somebody embracing chaos but uh, really not that pursue it so tell me in your case uh, how do you how do you deal with chaos yeah i think i think that's the the fun business challenge uh, often uh, or really any any venture but is a is a common theme in business and more specifically with you know my focus in amazon and fba is that there is a fair amount of um, chaotic elements a lot of pieces that you've got to put together uh, in a clear sequence with clear objectives sort of beginning with the end in mind and i think you know, with with this space um, and getting to know sellers that have have tried a, a number of different, you know, whether it's arbitrage or wholesale, or, you know, there's all kinds of ways of of uh, approaching the Amazon marketplace. Uh, but with the FBA private label model, uh, the one that I'm most you know acutely familiar with, there are those elements. But then it's a matter of embracing uh, embracing the chaos to a degree, and then finding that path, that sequence, reverse engineering based on your goals and objectives um, and and leveraging Amazon to its fullest. That's the that's the beauty of Amazon is that it, it comes jam-packed with so much leverage that you want to um, you want to make sure that you're tapping into that and that's when you have the exponential growth and returns um, in a physical product business. Mm -hmm. So I had the uh the privilege of having one of the former Amazonians on the show uh, recently. He uh, he was actually the business team lead uh, for building Seller Central. And he was talking about the culture in general in Amazon. And it came down to three principles, he said. So whenever you have a problem with Amazon, suddenly it hits you in the face, you need to apply those three principles to the challenge in order for you to, to bring some kind of resolution as a seller. <laughs> and um, I don't remember all three, but the first one is, what business problem does this solve? So what, whatever the problem that is being reported by Amazon, what business problem am I going to solve by addressing? So... Uh, that was the first one. So, and then, you know, he followed through on the methodology in his approach. Uh, and this is the case apparently for all Amazon people do. So in your case, give us your methodology for approaching a chaotic situation and then dealing with it in a, in a non-emotional way, so to speak. 
Yeah, I think I think to scope it in to contextualize it for an FBA business, I think one of the seemingly simplest steps that we overlook is is beginning with the end in mind, um, because there's there is a lot of different ways to to achieve it achieve a variety of outcomes if you start selling on Amazon and utilize uh, utilize FBA. Is your focus? Let's create a spectrum of of more of a cash flowing business where maybe you're running very lean. You're being very cost eff- you know cost efficient in your business. You're thinking of ways of just generating an excess of a, a th- few thousand, maybe tens of thousands of dollars uh, each month. You're gonna you're gonna approach that business completely differently than let's say on the other end of the spectrum, where at the end of the day maybe you want to realize an exit or some some type of either liquidity event or formalize some type of larger partnership where the scale of what you're um, aiming to build and the outcome you want to realize is that much more substantial. That's going to form your day-to-day decision-making and really how you approach approach your business. So again, seemingly simple step, but crucial in terms of what is your North Star and how do you make the best decisions for uh, for that outcome. Then, in terms of methodology, it's it's really important um, again in, in this type of business to to sort of unpack what levers are the most in, beneficial. Um, really taking inventory of effectively what is the eighty twenty of success on a platform like Amazon. This typically makes ensures that you're not having too broad of a focus and thinking about oh, okay, I need to have. A really great, you know, website presence and uh, D 2 T channels and strategies, and having an additional, you know, channel online such as Walmart or, or otherwise, is that I've really scoped in the channel that I'm going to leverage, and then understanding again what it rewards. What's really great, and this is where, in some ways, it it mitigates some of the chaos, is that when it comes to Amazon FBA, you'll you'll start to really see this very clear sequence of events that you need to take. At least on the foundational level, but really, as you get to really wrap your arms around it and understand uh, what's most effective, is that you can really take that sequence all the way to completion, and then be thinking about what is the bleeding, cutting edge strategies that impacts that eighty twenty. And not to bury the lead, most 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 often than not, when it comes to the eighty twenty on Amazon, it's it's ranking and reviews. That's really where you should be focusing a disproportionate amount of your time. That does assume that you're providing a quality product that the market that the, the demand is is um, is validated before you've sourced it and brought it to market. Um, but that's that's really how you know you start formalizing a methodology. You clarify your goals. You understand the sequence. You cut out the fluff and the excess through through an exercise of an eighty twenty, and then you embrace that sequence and almost let your business get to be a little bit boring. Where if ninety percent of it follows the same clear path and sequence, and these milestones start taking form, and, and it starts to look very familiar as you add in more SKUs and variations and, and the like. And then you give yourself the room, the latitude at that last 10% to say, hey, what are the absolute best doing? Where are they spending a disproportionate amount of their time? Where am I seeing a disproportionate benefit through an ongoing 80-20 analysis? And then you're playing a different game than everyone else. So it's uh, it's it's simple, it's simple, but not easy. And that's really uh, the beauty of many, uh, many of the most effective strategies across any business, let alone an FBA physical product business. Yeah, so uh, simple but not easy is is really the description of it, right? So uh, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, sayings is uh, the best solutions to a complex problem is usually a simple one, but it takes a lot to create a simple solution for a complex problem. So, and that's where it gets uh, hard. So, I remember my days as an Amazon seller. I did not, I was in health and beauty space, but, um, you know, I started uh, a long time ago. There was no private label those days. It was just uh, arbitrage. So um, with health and beauty space, as you know, there is a lot of counterfeit. So a lot of people are bringing out stuff. So that was the perfect kind of chaos situation. So we, we had we had direct accounts with major brands, and then we had large you know, distributors that we would buy from. So there's no question about authenticity of the product. Uh, however, 
people would come play. And the easiest thing that they did was that just to get a refund, they would say, oh, you know, I believe this is counted. And then the next thing is Amazon is taking action. So, um, so what I was able to do was really, yeah, I mean, you, you, you said it in a way that is simple, but it assumes something. It assumes that you have been consistently building your operation uh, based on sound principles, consistent processes that you operate the same way, right? So that's what you are assuming. If you are doing things different ways every time, you drive this, for example, as creating a listing or updating a listing. If you are using a flat file every time, and you are updating like for images instead of uploading images you are using image urls and then referring to the image url and you're doing that every time that's consistent process but if you are uploading an image one day and then going on seller central uh, and then making changes and then another day you're doing a flat file that's all over the place so what i'm getting at is when something does go wrong now you are all over the place, right? You're trying to figure out how am I going to deal with it rather than falling back on how you were operating. Uh, and also Amazon picks up on that. They say that, oh, this is an unreliable seller uh, versus they are running based on principles. Uh, what is your take on that? Yeah, yeah. I think generally uh, Amazon has gotten better from even you know selling you know, in, in my case, you know, seven or eight years ago, where there was not as much in the way of safeguards of registering a brand, of of jumping through the necessary hoops to legitimize and authentic, essentially authenticate uh, brands and products. So, I think I think the evolution has really served sellers to a fair degree. Um, but to your point, in terms of things like uh, processes and redundancies, to make sure that hey, in a worst case scenario, you know. Now, some of the more abusive or manipulative tactics, or even just we'll, we'll call them Amazon errors that become headaches for sellers, is it becomes really important to create those internal systems and documentation to make sure that, hey, if this is flagged, if this is misidentified, do you have uh, you know do you have a nice and, and easily organized place to to retrieve a you know a prior um, file that you've you've updated and that you're actively managed? Do you have a monthly cadence where you revisit it, where you update it, where you check it. Um, that's really important. And then you know, the other thing that comes to mind too, and this is where for first-time business owners and new sellers is really trying to have enough support. Um, now, I'm a big software believer in software, of course, because that's a, that's a way of um, sort of multiplying yourself or automating those different activities, um, but also build out the semblance of, of a small team that can support a lot of those initiatives as well. Um, because it gets more burdensome. Uh, this is a, this is a intuitive correlation that as you grow more of your brand presence and your product line grows, um, there's, there's more potential liability, more points of exposure, more surface area for problems to take place. And that's where quick wins are, are also in addition to that software is adding, adding VAs, adding key hires, where you can focus really more on on growth. Um, I'm still a big believer in that you should pretty much do everything in your business, especially when starting out, so that that internal documentation is as useful as it can be because you've been in there, you're intimately aware of the nuances, um, the things that make up you know the best type of processes and SOPs. But then the offloading is that much more seamless when you have uh, you have that documentation. You can hand it off to VA and say, "Hey, you know, this is a detailed process, clear sequences, milestones, clear objectives. You know, and maybe do a video. Have them do a video that shows, hey, I've I've now done this, so there's a redundancy. Um, there's different ways that I approach that too, but things like that where um, you essentially then have um, have documentation in a variety of forms that is a living resource that is that internal wiki." And those are the types of things that make scaling just that much more, more seamless. Because then everybody's replaceable, for for lack of a better phrase. Uh, but that's good. That's a positive in <laughs> in your business. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you just uh, touched my soft spot, so to speak. <laughs> uh, documentation, uh, SOPs. So a lot of 
business owners, entrepreneurs, or people in leadership role, people with a lot of responsibilities, they see it as a chore to create these things. And that's, I think, and I always say, everything starts with the right mindset. So first of all, that mindset has to go out the window. It has no place in business that creating SOPs or documentation is a chore. It's not. It's part of the work. And in fact, it is the kind of work that will help you because, you know, as you know, you have, we have thoughts. I, I don't know what the number is. Like in your brain, you get like 30,000 thoughts per minute or something like that. I don't know the number, but we get thoughts all the time. But when you start writing them down, they come out totally different, right? So, you know, you, what you think you should do in a particular scenario, when you write it down, suddenly you realize this is not the way to do it. So that's why documentation is key. So uh, my practical tip for everyone, so tell me how you go about creating this, is I say don't write down anything when you're doing it for the first time. First time you do it is just for discovery. You're figuring out what it is that you're going to do. And then you complete it full circle. You bring it full circle and you, whatever the process is, you finish it and it's done. So now, now you sit down and write it up. What you've done after finishing it, write it down and create a video, if any. Uh, but I would say creating a video is not until after you finish writing. Now, the second time you're doing it, you follow your own instructions to the dot and see if you are missing because we make assumptions. Oh, you know, this is obvious. I'm going to do this next. Well, it's not obvious to someone who's never done it. So write it down and make sure that whatever you've written down is exact. And at that point, now your instructions are ready. On the third one, you can create a video. Now you add the video. Now you are all set. So this is my practical approach to creating documentation or SOPs. So uh, what is your take on it and how do you go about doing it? Yeah, I, I like that approach. For, for me, um, what I'll often do, um, I, I, I think I don't necessarily do a discovery pass, which I think is good. The idea of, of going through it and making sure that you intimately understand it before then moving to the documentation side. More often than not, I'll bring that right in where as I'm doing it, maybe even for the first time, as long as I have a good enough understanding um, of those three different, you know, the, the th three things I think about for a process is a sequence milestones. So not only just thinking about the end, but what are those like crucial steps where it's like, oh, I'm on the right path. This is something you want your team or who it's being delegated to, to, to uh, intimately understand. Um, and then the ultimate objective, what does it look like if this is done correctly and in full? Um, and so if I have that understanding, I'll dive in and then create that, that sequence. Um, usually I like to use tools that are, uh, that facilitate being able to tie in like images as well. So if I document that process, the, the tool I use is, uh, is notion. That's really what we, uh, we like to use for our wiki, um, adding that in. And then, then when I hand it off, that's when I actually have the person who is, uh, owning that task have them complete a video walking through that task. And it's in many ways, it's a double check to make sure at that point in time, if, if they can teach you in a, in a video format, how to complete the step, that is a, um, that speaks to the familiarity and an understanding of what needs to be done. And then uh, as this implies for the next person who takes on that task, they have now a written form. They've got a video form. It's coming from two different people. So it's two different sort of inputs and perspectives. But then that gives them them that much more to be able to, uh, to complete the process. And then what you want to do is make sure you come back and revisit those processes. And this is where really you, you have to, uh, whether you identify it and, and I think your discovery step or understand where this fits in the business is making sure that those processes are living, that they don't get stale. Um, yes. you know, how high of a business need do they meet? How fresh uh, and updated do they need to be? Um, so being cognizant of that to where they don't get buried in your, you know, your internal SOPs, um, but really become as useful as, as they can be. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really like your approach where you have somebody else create the video that's making sure that the instructions are complete and that they understood it and they are actually doing it. So at least you've got one more person who understands that particular process. So uh, I really like that. You know, there is another, you know, I, this is interesting. So we started with chaos, right? And we've gone way over to the other side <laughs> where we are like so honed in on standardization and, uh, and documentation, which is basically how you deal with chaos because those are the materials. I mean, this is not just by accident. We ended up here. <laughs> this is exactly how you deal with chaos because when crisis hits you, you fall back on, okay, what do we have for a situation like this? And, and then you're looking at all different potential cases that, that, that you have addressed by your existing processing. And maybe there is nothing. Maybe this is a hole. Now that's more reason for you to add another step. Uh, so uh, this is the right way. So there is another... Uh, methodology I use. Nobody likes writing anything, right? I mean, when I say nobody, most people are, first of all, people don't really, are not good at spelling things. So when you are writing and, uh, you know, you, you've got keyboard, you have to be using the keyboard. So, so typing becomes uh, a chore and it's tedious and things like that. So uh, therefore, I tell people, when you're creating documentation, we're not going to write stories. So I tell them this. We're going to follow the five W's and H. So that is the methodology that I advocate. And I say H is the how. And when somebody is, brings up something, okay, we need to do this, we are drawn to, I call the H, the how, as the shiny objects. We are drawn to the shiny objects. Okay, so what do I do? Where do I go? Where do I click? So it does not, that is not important. First, you have to focus on the W's. So first question to address is why we need to have this process. What is the purpose of it? Because people are smart enough to figure out how if they understand the purpose of something. So I always say, put in your documentation the purpose. And it's a one line. And it's very simple. You don't have to really think too much or write too much. Put the purpose. And then as bullet points, put what it is that you need to do. Not the how, but what are the steps. And what I heard you mention is put the sequence. And then in that, put the notes about what to expect. If you are doing it the right way, like when you give somebody directions, if you've gone as far as the traffic lights, you've gone too far. You have to turn around. <laughs> so, uh, put that kind of stuff in. But as bullet points, that's the what. And then you put the the uh, the when, which is the frequency uh, or, you know, whenever time of the day, if it's an update or whatever. And then who does it? And that's usually the not the name of the person, but the role. Uh, and then finally, where, where is the platform? Which platform are you using? Are you using Seller Central? Are you using Excel? Are you using, you know, a, a SaaS platform? Whatever the case may be. So when you do it like that, it's very simple. It's a few bullet points, a couple of lines, and a bunch of screenshots to show the, uh, the illustration of it. And then as far as the how, you've got the video. So they can watch the video for the how. So... What is your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's great. I think defining um, more often than not, whether it's a a fear of doing it wrong, maybe an unwillingness to make to set aside the time. I think those really simple shorthands. I think as you know, as you're explaining, I'm thinking this makes ton, a ton of sense. But I think I think there is a there is a um, inclination maybe to complicate the idea of creating. A process or using a guide to do so. Um, so I, I like that. I mean, that's where I even have just the, just the three things, uh, just to make sure that it's like, there's no excuse, you know, you touched on to your, your mindset where, you know, I, I think, like I said, whether it's an unwillingness or maybe viewing it as too burdensome is, is having this mindset of like, when you create this internal brain um, through your SOPs, it actually allows you to have more choices in your business because, you can level you can you can remove yourself all together again this is where your objectives are really important you can level up and be focusing more on strategy and growth 
um, things that aren't like M and A things, things that are, you know, exponential drivers in your business. Um, but it's by doing these seemingly simple things and following a, you know, these really great shorthands that serve as that guide to make sure that, Hey, there's not really a lot of brain power you have to put into it. It's really just Mm -hmm. almost using a template to execute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you, you've sold your uh, businesses twice in totally different industries, so to speak. One is a seller, the other is a technology company. So tell us, obviously, you know, we're talking about uh, SOPs and documentation. Uh, This is something you practice. So what kind of a difference does it make? Because everybody who's an Amazon seller is a private building in private label. I'm sure at some point in time, they'd like to cash in on their efforts. So how, what kind of an impact does it make? Uh, Tell us about the, the process of being acquired as well as your valuation. What kind of a difference does this make? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I view it personally as a as a, a another asset in the business. Is any time that you can create that much predictability, um, it benefits you as an owner. Let's say even before you a pre-sale, before you even go to market or have conversations about being acquired, is that 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 freedom allows you to then focus on the drivers that that create a more compelling. I view there to be sort of two things, especially especially on the physical product side, that are really crucial. That sort of the eighty twenty when when you go to market, and that's the narrative and your numbers. Really simple. The narrative is the story behind your brand, who you are, the product line, where you are now, where you can take the, where things can go potentially in the future. And then the numbers. This is what you'd expect of you know your P and L and balance sheet and so on. So. If you can have your processes impact both sides of things, that's really great. More often than not, the narrative is where that's really compelling because that's when you're having conversations. Again, now that I'm on the M&A side, having conversations with people like me or, or others that are looking at acquiring businesses, is that's that's really compelling. Is if that you can come to those parties and have conversations about automating most of or a majority or key facets of your business to where they p- predictably, reliably produce results, that's that's immensely compelling. And you can sort of see why, right? Where if you were to require a business, if things are on mostly on autopilot, that removes human errors, human delays, unpredictability, which is a you know scary word when it comes to spend, uh, you know, uh, investing heavily in a business. So that narrative aspect is really compelling. Now, if you can get the number side and positively impact that, and tie that into your processes, that's when you have a ton of synergies behind your SOPs where you can literally show, hey, based on our PNL, maybe we've mitigated some of our payroll because our team is just humming and we can see how that shows up in some of our numbers. You know, maybe we do have a little bit more expenses on the software side, but you can weigh, you know, a fifty, sixty thousand dollar employee to, yeah, we're only paying about a hundred dollars a month for a tool that helps automate exactly what this role would do predictably assign and complete this role. And so more often than not, and it's a small tangent on this point is I, I think uh, because I've been both a seller and a SaaS owner operator, I think the SaaS side, I think is continues to be underutilized. I think more often than not, there is not a, there's not a real, uh, the ROI that software properly implemented can provide, I think is very much underestimated. And I think that example is a case in point more often than not, Payroll is going to be your highest expense when you're running a business. Um, and typically, you know, what what really great software often does is it it typically replaces uh, that people power. Um, now it can supplement. There can be some synergies. You can you can sort of strategize with both of those puzzle pieces in play. But when it comes to time for acquisition, and you're looking at both your costs alongside your returns or how that shakes out in your P and L. This is where on our point of, of of processes, of predictability in your business, these are all factors that roll into the, you know, the final equation that drives your valuation, uh, that hopefully helps you uh, or not hit your objectives when it comes time to, you know, bring your bring your asset, your team, your people to to market for for sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is exactly it. You, you 
you know, I always tell my clients when I start working with them, I actually put, I call it the playbook or the company wiki. So part of the work is building the playbook. So at the beginning, everything is new to them. So we're not writing playbook. So we're just learning and I'm, I'm showing them whether it's the keyword research or or building the titles uh, or building a revenue model. We just learn. So uh, then after a while, now it's time to put the playbook in place. So I tell them that, look, you've got to put your playbook in place because what will happen is now that we are kind of getting started with the routine work where we're going to start to do the same thing over and over with another listing or whatever the case may be, now you're going to need help. And the last thing you want is you've got to have help because you've got too much work to do and and hiring is hard enough, finding the right person, right? That's, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, but let's assume that you find the perfect person. The last thing you want is now you've got the perfect help, but you have no time to teach them. So where does that take you? So that's why it's important to make the playbook uh, or the, the SOPs or the documentation key that you want to start as early as possible and then stay on it. So that that way you can scale your operation because your operation is not going to scale if you are the only one doing everything and you're just winging it every time, right? That's 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 no way to build value. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's all kinds of ways too. I think as as brands think about different ways of arbitraging value, there's creative ways that you can leverage other services or think about how they do their processes and and harvest that value through. You know, maybe maybe you sign on for a service for two or three months, see exactly how they do it, capture those processes, and then move on. Like there, there are by virtue of time and more and more people really um, gaining more expertise, and uh, they themselves developing processes. You can bring those into your your company into your business by evaluating those key areas of need, whether it's foundational, maybe you're you're growing. Um, I think consistently think about arbitraging that value can be really a really a fun play too. It's 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 you know it's out there. How can you tap into it? And then once it's in house and it's part of your larger brain, then you can iterate. Then it can evolve evolve over time as well. So Troy, give us some practical tips on how you actually keep track of it. Because what happens is. You know, in a company, especially technology-driven, whether you are a seller using technology or you're a technology company offering a solution, um, there's many, 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 many different processes that you're creating a documentation for. But after a while, you get lost. You forget what you've done, right? You, you, <laughs> you forget. So give us some practical tips. How do you actually uh, pull you know, with the click of a button, oh, we've got something for that? So, what is the best way to do, to track these things? Yeah, I think uh, the other the other side of um, SOPs and processes is your really your day to day management. Um, now, I use I use tools that help to support um, a lot of what would be you know on my plate, on my team's plate. So maybe who I'm delegating different tasks to. So it's I think it's important to make sure that you bring online a. Uh, reliable um, accountability system, let's call it. So, what is what is a good project or task management tool that's suitable for your team? You know, I've I've used the Asanas, um, using Monday as an example, another really great tool. So, things that you can bring online that will tie into your internal wiki. Very practical things like using your task management tool to set up that monthly cadence of hey, re-review tasks or re-review our SOPs. Are they up to date? Is there any other stakeholders we need to get involved or refresh some of those SOPs? So I think that's a super practical thing, um, not being too fluid with um, how you're already keeping visible, not only to yourself, but to other team members, what you're doing day, to, day in and day out, and then what's sort of planned uh, uh, future focused. Um, I know I, I used to do a, a physical planner and have that in front of me, and, and that's great. And you can create those redundancies. But I think it's really important um, 
in the early days and as you're building a team to have some type of system that provides that uh, provides that visibility. And then, like I said, the interplay with your your SOP tool is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other sort of legs to that chair is, is other seemingly simple stuff. You know, bringing like a, a Google Drive, some asset management tool online as well that makes sure that when you're saving things, uh, more active files, different assets, uh, business or otherwise, you have a very clear place to to uh, to save some of those resources. But once you bring those three things online, you really can you you really can start building a pretty substantial snowball of uh, predictable predictable systems and support in your business um, to where you can add in the the value add different different software tools you know whether it's your accounting tools your analytics tools mm-hmm. all of these other components that help you uh, tap into crucial uh, business metrics and that's that's again and as we go further along it probably could be a uh, similar to hiring, whole full, full conversation as well of using data in your business is that you're starting to use things that really give you the pass fail and the the really clear visibility of if you're driving success in your business or if you need to be altering some of your uh, strategy and tactics. But that would be my first sort of real practical tip: getting something online that helps to support that, and then that way as you're delegating things, like I said, I would I would bring in. Uh, Notion is the other tool that we use. Bring in Notion links as you're assigning, let's say, Asana tasks, and then having very clear deadlines, very clear owners, hits on your uh, four W's and an H. I would still have a another layer there that uh, who ultimately owns the execution of that task can literally see it, know when it needs to be done by, knows where to find how to do, how to complete it in full, um, and it's 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 that almost elementary understanding. Um, where if you were to view the, the other really good litmus test to make sure that your systems are good is that third-party perspective. If you are watching right. you execute in your business, does it look like things make sense? Are they highly predictable? Can it be, can, can anybody stepping in make, make a, make sense of what is, uh, what needs to be done and when it needs to be done by again, your, your, your test, that third-party view is really empowering to make sure that you're, you're, you're setting up a really viable system in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, it's, it's, it's so right. So having that, I mean, your, your approach to have somebody else create the video is, is the bottom line, that third party approach, right? So you're doing, you're hitting two birds with one stone. You're getting that validation from someone who's really not familiar with it. They're going to learn it first time uh, from your instructions that you've written down. In addition, they're creating a videos and providing even more learning material. So that's great. You know what I do? I, 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 first of all, I tried so many tools to create an online wiki because you have different aspects of it. So if you create an online uh, version of your company wiki or your playbook, you, you need to decide who can see it. You don't want to show the whole world. Uh, in addition, so you need to be able to control access. Uh, number two, who can add to it versus who can just view. So these are the two considerations. So there are a lot of tools out there, and I, I experimented with a lot of them. And the one that I I liked very much was called Confluence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they use they have a lot of different tools, but Confluence is specifically for uh, creating what they call team spaces. So I use Confluence, and then uh, I can build the playbook in a Microsoft Word, but you know what I do? I create a table of contents. So the only thing that I do is I just organize the, I call them sections. So you have heading one, heading two, heading three. So I create them purposely. I say, okay, main headings drive where things are, and then you just have like two, three layers of it, so with the click of a button, you can update your table of contents if you tagged everything. So then you can take that and plug into Confluence, and there you go. You've got your whole thing accessible by the people that you want accessing. So um, that's something that uh, that I enjoy. I always recommend. The costs are negligible for these things compared to what they will do for you. So that's something I do. But enough of the documentation. I'm sure people are getting bored. So you said something that's a great segue to the what I want to learn from you the most is the the metrics, the data, the analytics. So tell us, as a seller building a seller account, what are the numbers that you watch? 
Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, when it comes to KPIs, uh, specifically for an FBA business, some of the initial few, um, and these will, these will also be kind of evergreen, is seemingly simple stuff. Things like looking at your session data and your conversion data as you bring a, a product online. More often than not, you know, again, if we're focusing on um, getting more visibility for our product, that needs to ultimately show up in, in some of our session data. Are we getting, the, getting that visibility and welcoming that traffic to our listings? So we can view that right in, in business reports to see how things are coming along. Then it's on the, the conversion side. When we're driving that traffic, Ultimately, what's happening? Are we generating revenue? Are we seeing it seep out? Are we are we losing out on potential sales for well earned uh, and now uh, even more so than than really ever before hard earned traffic to our listing to understand if we're ultimately completing a, a revenue generating activity? So I really like to use that as a as a starting place. Uh, it's the it's the traffic and conversions. It's sort of the the D to C uh, model within and, and on Amazon. And then that starts to inform the things that we want to, what the actions that we want to take. Uh, more often than not, I like to focus on making sure that conversion readiness is in place for my listings. If I source a product, bringing it online, I'm doing all the optimization steps. So I'm making sure that my keyword research is dialed in. I'm building out my list listing uh, with that keyword research done really well, placing those keywords in the right highly weighted uh, elements of a listing. I'm making sure that my media is dialed in. So all of my images are high quality. They're zoomable, meet Amazon style guidelines. I'm filling out sections that include some of the, the video components. So related video shorts, I want that whole real estate. All of that foundational work needs to be done. And then I start thinking about the traffic and conversions equation because essentially I'm putting my best foot forward. Mm -hmm. And so I want to see, hey, is Amazon rewarding this with traffic? If not, I need to supplement that through PPC, external traffic uh, and the like. And then as that's coming in, ultimately, how is that listing performing? And if it's conversions, can I add a coupon? Is my price optimized? Am I driving enough uh, reviews? Do I have a foundation and a high enough quality, uh, quantity and quality uh, reviews on my listing that can drive uh, drive conversions? So what starts to happen again is, is if we really have a good foundation, I then you, it allows you to then focus on what are those crucial and important metrics that then inform what levers I need to pull based on hopefully hopefully performance is optimal. If not, I know exactly where I need to be focusing some of my efforts. Yeah. So, you know, I, you and I had a conversation before this recording. I never asked you uh, what you were going to say or... You know, we, we figured out how we were going to open, but nothing here that's going on is scripted. So you just hit the two things that that I always advocate for. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's it's you know it just makes me pleased. First, conversion. That's my magic bullet. I always tell people there are two magic bullets for success on Amazon. It's nothing to do with sales, nothing to do with price, your even your profits, because those are the byproducts of other things. So first one is your click-through rate, which you know referring to as the traffic. So are we getting enough traffic to the product page? So if you work on your click-through rate, so you're getting more people to click on the search results on your product, that's giving you the traffic that you need. Uh, of course, that click-through event is the result of so many things, your listing optimization, your pictures, and, and everything else. And the second magic bullet, which is the killer, is the conversion. So out of how many people you're bringing, how many are actually purchasing your item? Now, this is available in business reports, you mentioned. However, it's only available for a time frame you choose to download, right? Mm -hmm. There is nothing that gives you the perspective. So you have to have, at your end, a fairly elaborate Excel file, I guess, so that you can update it every time and then look at things in perspective and in conjunction with some of the changes that you you made in the process. Because if you saw your conversion spike, uh, why did that happen? Is that like, you wanna know that you changed the picture just before that spike. So 
can you share with us some practical ways how people can stay on top of this? Uh, are there systems out there? Yeah, and you bring up a great point. And and tools um, tools have gotten better about this. Uh, the the idea of dropping a pin or adding an event to where you can monitor the performance after you've made a change. So I think that's that's really important too. Is the active testing, and now we see A/B testing and whatnot uh, being a um, being a native feature uh, as well. Uh, but you also brought up another point in terms of of click through rate, and I think this is where um, you know I, I spoke generally in terms of the eighty twenty, but when it comes to like a click through rate, thinking of what variables come into play when somebody types in a search for a keyword of that's relevant to your product, there's only a few select pieces of information they get before they determine whether they're going to click through or not. It's things like main image, your title, your price. Are you displaying a coupon? These these seemingly small things that are showing up nice, bright, clear, and uh, clear as day as part of search results that determine whether or not you earn earn that click. So those are those are really uh, really important points. Um, the other thing I would highlight is, and I think you and I share this, is that we start from a place of conversions, right? Um, it, it really is important to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward to where any of the ongoing testing is really building on building on more of a strong foundation. Uh, more often than not, you know, some of our tools, we, we um, have listing optimization tools that highlight any kind of missed opportunities or recommended steps. Those are, it's really important to and encourage using a multitude of tools to make sure that you're really doing a comprehensive and exhaustive check on, on your listing um, and getting that really dialed in. So, um, I think, yeah, I think that's that's really important. I, I apologize, Nick. I, I think I missed your question, but I think those were things that came to mind. Yeah, to yeah. There. So, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, this is exactly it. Uh, so do you, uh, short of creating your own Excel file to track your conversion over time, do you have any tools you can recommend? Yeah, there's uh, there's a few analytics tools that, that really do um, help with some of this data. It some of them skew a little bit more on the PPC side, which is great because as you get into more granular analytics and you're looking at both paid and organic, um, that's where again other tools um, other tools can really support that. Um, I believe we're probably going to have one added to the Carbon Six Suite here fairly soon that will that will help support that. Um, I don't know if there's any others I can really mention that would be a great um, great recommendation there. Um, I know at Solo Tools, as an example, we have the uh, event-related activities where we drill that down. And this is an important point too: is we look at it at the at the keyword level. So, if you make any changes to a, a specific uh, a specific keyword, and you want to look at that ASIN and, and track BSR and any any other performance metrics, you can essentially drop a pin and say, "Hey." added a promotion here, maybe you're running external traffic, you're really dialed in on a, a subset or a main keyword, uh, you can then sort of see um, over time how, and hopefully that's um, uh, improved performance, how that performance has changed once you've implemented that event uh, or update. So there are a few, yeah, a few Carbon 6 tools that help um, help with that. And I think we'll probably, like I said, probably have one here soon that, that uh, I don't know if I'm okay to mention just yet, but we'll, we'll probably help with some of the paid and organic analytics too. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that there are tools for paid traffic, like using the advertising data, which is where people are spending money. So they want to look at that, but I, I haven't come across anything that really reports on the, the, the composite, you know, which is basically the business reports. Uh, maybe because it's not available through uh, or at least until recently it wasn't available through the API. You would have to do it manually. So maybe that that was the reason. But um, it's yeah, it's it, you have to stay on top of your conversion. You have to stay on top of your your click throughs, your traffic, your uh, buy boxes. Another one. So Amazon is promoting the Amazon Business Program, which is now. It's it's kind of created or starting to create another business model where entrepreneurial-minded people are creating a business account and then sourcing items, private label items that they can sell profitably because right. Amazon offers business discounts. So you need to stay on top of your buy box retention. That's another one I always recommend. So uh, you and I can spend hours talking about <laughs> analytics. So. Um, just looking at the big picture, 
As far as Amazon, my favorite question is, how would you recommend an Amazon seller to structure their team? What are some roles and responsibilities they must put on the table? Yeah, this is a great question. I, I think what, what, I've, what I've learned through my, my own experience um, and seeing uh, anecdotally uh, in my network what's really worked is really aiming to try to bring on if whether it's budget, uh, again, or goals, uh, depending on the team size and, and where you want to ultimately take things, is bringing on a team player that has more of a, a project management skill set, uh, somebody that can really be this the centerpiece of driving a lot of the initiatives in the business. So this may be somebody that owns your SOPs, but isn't completing them. They're delegating those tasks to other members of the team and or you know a team of, of VAs. Um, I skew, uh, this is my, my personal bin is I skew for a little bit of a smaller team. If I, if we can stay lean and agile, that's really my default state. I've got really close friends that have built, you know, uh, teams of 40, 50, hundred people. And that, that tends to be where they skew it. Obviously based on their objectives, they're, they're, um, they're really aiming for uh, substantial growth and, and scale that, that requires that type of, that type of team. Um, but that's that's been what's worked for me and been really fruitful, and it's aimed at really being sort of simplistic. Is that somebody that I can entrust with leading, guiding, and then also uh, more often than not, that skill set is somebody who can uh, who can really take on more leadership and ownership in other roles as needed. Um, they become somebody that that can move into you know from a managerial to a director to VP that, you know, they, they can kind of grow with the business. Um, I won't say it's always the easiest hire to be able to find and vet, uh, especially if you're in the early days of your business, this is where as an owner, you really want to, um, you really want to put yourself in a perspective, uh, higher shoes of what would resonate with them. You know, what's exciting that what you're building, what does the next six months or a year look like? Um, create that really strong narrative in those early days that creates a compelling case for somebody with that skill set to come on. Because um, as I've seen, more often than not, those that have that skill set can can be a little bit more in the corporate realm. They're maybe used to a little bit more structure. Um, and typically what you're seeking out is help me build the structure in my business. And mm-hmm. you want to you wanna make that sound exciting and you want to make that sound compelling. So um, more often than not, like I said, that's something this is where you want to be cognizant of, is, is there somebody already in your network? Is there an arm's reach contact? Is there somebody you know you could put you know put something in their ear of, hey, I'd, I'd really love for somebody of this skill set to join my team? Um, I've seen that be really fruitful and it's a great way of you know, not, not just being lean to just save money um, where you just you have a, you know, an army of VAs. Um, I've seen success in, that, in, those, in those cases. For me, though, I like to have the steady hand, um, usually stateside. So, you know, uh, being in the U.S., shared time zone, reliability, ease of communication. There's a lot of positives that I look for um, in that type of hire that then helps to facilitate the, you know, steady uh, but managed growth of, of the team. Yeah. So, you know, when I ask this question, most people say, okay, you need to have somebody who's on content somebody on fulfillment, somebody on the, the financial stuff, you've t- taken a totally different approach. You, you're saying, <laughs> don't worry about those things. You know, you're saying basically have someone who is project management uh, mindset oriented, so to speak, yeah. and they can lead and hire if needed and delegate and they'll figure out what is needed. Yeah, so that's they're usually they're resourceful about. enough to where, and I, I can appreciate that, but it, it it sounds good hypothetically to say, "Hey, I want to hire these five people and then have their their specific lanes." And then all of a sudden, you realize, "Well, my payroll has grown four and fivefold." Well, you know, I would love to really put that towards the business. Like, I would love to have the greatest content in the world, but I would rather have, you know, twice as many sales, you know, twice as much brand exposure, you know, visibility on Amazon, twice as much in the way of reviews. You know, it brings us back to the point of success on Amazon. You know, the best content in the world doesn't assure me that I get better ranking or better reviews. And so I find my, 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 my bent is towards somebody who's resourceful that can help me with today's problem, not just planning for, 
Because I'm also a belief, as much as we've talked about, you know, organization and planning, there gets to be a certain point where planning is guessing. You know, I, I would never give myself the confidence of I have a crystal ball and I can tell you what's going to happen in a month, three months, sure. six months. I can just make the best decisions on the information I have now and have somebody now that alongside me who's resourceful enough to take on new information, synthesize it and make the best informed decision and be that really key support in my in my business. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, I mean, we, we kind of started with chaos and then uh, that very quickly provided, I think that the information you provide is very valuable to increase somebody's business value, but most important, while they are working on the business, it frees them up from all kinds of time that they have to put in to train people and things like that. And when there is a crisis, they have something they can fall back on and to figure out what it is that they've done. And then all the way up to the analytics, how to best use of them and what to watch. This is great. So let, let's talk a little bit about you. So tell us, um, where did you grow up and where do you live? Yeah, so I I, I grew up, um, I was actually born in Japan. I was born um, on a base uh, with a, my, have a military family, military background. So I uh, grew up um, in Japan and then we moved, um, when I was about six years old, moved back here uh, stateside, ended up really growing up through uh, elementary school, middle school, um, and through high school in the Midwest in uh, Derby, Kansas, a pretty small uh -huh. town in the, in the Midwest, uh, before it ultimately ended up here in, in Florida. And that's where I went to uh, university and um, yeah, spent some, spent some time here. And so how were you an entrepreneurial person or were you like a nerdy guy or what were you when you were growing up as a kid? Um, yeah, I, I, not, not really my, my family, uh, coming, coming from, uh, speaking generally from a military background, a, a little bit more conservative, um, didn't really deviate too much, you know, um, really valued, you know, security and stability. Um, and so I think that was, that was something that was part of my upbringing. Um, and really not, not until this would have been what early, um, right around 20, 2012, 2013, when I was working, um, my back, my background actually is in project management as well. I've, I've, uh, worked in a variety of projects, TV commercials, radio, uh, traditional advertising, digital media. Um, but it was actually a colleague of mine where we were both project managers building out websites for different hoteliers, uh, different, um, uh, different businesses in the travel industry. And he had come from a very strong entrepreneurial background. He had had his share of uh, businesses, failures and successes. And um, it was really at that time that he and I kind of stumbled on this uh, FBA opportunity by looking at different income streams. We were looking at different real estate investment models, uh, different e-commerce models. And FBA at that point in time, uh, to be honest with you, felt very much like a get-rich-quick scene. It, it didn't, didn't really seem like it was as substantiated. It felt um, a little bit like um, it wasn't clear whether it was a super viable model. Was it your um, partner's idea or your idea to do this? Well, so... It was actually through, um, he and I were always looking at uh, things together, kind of in our spare time and outside of, outside of work. Um, it was a, a real estate investment group where the leader of that group was actually an affiliate for uh, what was at that time, Amazing Selling Machine 2. And so um, we were, it was the first time we were presented with it while we were studying and, and getting involved in real estate, where... Um, she was giving the opportunity for somebody to um, work with an angel investor to have them essentially pay for the course ASM2 and um, provide a, some seed capital for a 50-50 split within the business. And all you had to do to be eligible was you know, just share, hey, uh, provide a little bit of background. Why would you be a good fit for this opportunity? And I sort of did it on a whim where I'm like, okay, hey, why not? Let's let's see, you know, well, let's how, see. If how, how do you do that? Because you, you've come from a fairly disciplined environment or background, I should say. Always procedures, you know, uh, delegation. And suddenly now you take a, a jump into this unknown. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I, I have to, I have to give, uh, my, my friend and colleague a, a good amount of credit. I think there was a, there was a lot of encouragement to explore and see, um, what could be possible. And the, I feel like I remember the, it was over a weekend too. So it was kind of like, you know, why not? You know, we were in this real estate group of like, we're, we're going to try different things. We're going to be open to, uh, exploring different opportunities. A lot of things I had, you know, never really had any experience before. So I think that that helped to kind of break the seal a little bit more and be receptive. And then, do you think, you know, do you think that it was a part of you wanted to rebel against this well-regulated, you know, controlled uh, approach to, <laughs> to things versus here, you know, something that uh, that you thought, oh, you know, I, I I always wanted to get out of this way of living, so to speak. Uh, do you think there was a little bit of that? Yeah, I, th I think I think so. I mean, I think um, by no means in, in, impulsive or quick or, ra or you know, kind of sure, rash. Yeah. But it was it was just more of an openness to the idea of like, well, why not? You know, I could I could always say, let's say I submitted this and they said thanks, but no thanks. They didn't respond at all. You know, no skin off my back. I can I can just continue to do what I'm doing. Um, and I remember doing it fairly quickly. You know, it was like three paragraphs, or it was just like, you know, this is this is the opportunity to not so humbly brag, you know, share about your experiences to the point of like staying in my lane. I, you know, I graduated top of my class, paid off all my school debt, was working two jobs. Like I on the traditional path, I did fairly well. And this is where I was um, you know, I was open about some of those uh, some of those facts to, to sort of highlight, hey, this this could be you know, I could be a good fit for something like this. Yeah. Um, and that well, I mean, really kicked things you off. Know, you, you know, the, what I'm also seeing is you combine the best of both worlds because you, 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 you've always had this discipline approach to things. And also you wanted to rebel against it. So once you've rebelled against it and you become successful, you also made that discipline approach part of your success. So <laughs> you kind of brought them together, right? So, I mean, look, like... we spent about half an hour talking about documentation and so peace. I mean, that's like military life, uh, discipline <laughs> approach. Uh, as yet, you've made that part of your uh, completely taking the, the, the plunge into the unknown and then making it successful. So that's great. It's uh, I love this kind of stuff where people, you know, they 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 go back to their roots while they also experiment with other stuff. And of course, when it's successful, it's the best result you can expect. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. You, I honestly didn't really view it. You know, I haven't really seen it from that perspective before. But it's true. It's um, and maybe there is a lesson in that of the idea of like you know if, if you if you ultimately work really hard and and you know strive to strive for excellence and whatever form that takes is that it can, it can help you ironically enough, as was my case, is like this traditional path actually sort of opened a door for a non-traditional way of, you know, yeah. really opening up what would become my entrepreneurial journey. Well, you know what I really like about your story, Troy, this is, you are the kind of man who will never say one day, you know, very late in life. And, God, I wonder what would have happened if I'd taken that opportunity. You won't have that question in your mind. So mm -hmm. that's the best thing. Uh, I mean, that's how I like to live my life. And, you know, no regrets, no what ifs. You've seen an opportunity, even though it was not in your nature, you took it, made it successful without really forgetting your foundation of, you know, how you go about in life. So, that's the part that I love the most. So I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will identify with it. I know I, I do. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, my, you know, my, my parents were doctors. You know, they, they were not business. I was, I was the only person who went into business. And, and I remember my father one day said, are you always going to work for somebody for a few bucks? So, uh, and then, you know, about a year or so later, he passed and, that stuck with me. So, uh, and I only, had, I always say I had only uh, two and a half jobs because the third job, we ended up doing a management takeover. So, um, so, and then ever since that time, I've always started businesses. So 
we stay, you know, we stay true to what we want to do in life, but without forgetting where we're coming from, right? So, right. The yeah. best part. So, uh, tell us uh, how people can reach out to you. Give us your contact information. We'll put that on the website and with the episode, but uh, give it to us right now so people can reach out. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know if I mentioned my, the the SaaS that. Um, that I used to run uh, is called Seller.Tools. So I would encourage anyone to take a look at uh, Seller.Tools as the the website. And we're now part of the Carbon 6 family. So um, definitely encourage uh, for those that want to kind of tap into some of the tools and, the, and, and what we've built. We're really proud of what's coming together there. Um, now that we're part of the Carbon 6 family, you can also find us at Carbon6.io um, to see Seller Tools and then a whole suite of um, of other tools that will constantly be, uh, be growing and evolving. Um, and my role now, uh, leading up MA for Carbon Six, is really to to support that. Is really making sure that um, four different, uh, again, different ways that you can sell on Amazon, but um, more specifically on the private label side, we want to bring in best in class tools uh, across the entirety of the seller's journey. Um, so I get to have all the a lot of fun with uh, with making that a reality. Um, and then if you want to reach in and get in touch with me, definitely find me on LinkedIn. That's where I spend a good amount of my time connecting and networking with other um, owners, operators, um, and uh, seeing all the different tech and tools that are coming together and build, building the future. So it's pretty exciting. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Troy. This was great. And uh, we enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Nick. And this brings us to the end of another episode and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate and review our show and be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.